I gotta ask you, Joe, what is the on the banner across the, the top of your wall? Oh, it's my death clock. Your what? My death clock. It counts down to my 90th birthday, so I've got uh, <laughs> 18,070 days remaining, 11 hours, 1 minute, and 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 seconds until my 90th birthday, or till I die. Interesting. Why 90? Uh, I don't know. Life expectancy. Welcome to Find Your Freedom, the best entrepreneurship podcast. Here at FYF, our goal is to never stop learning and growing. And one of the best ways to learn is to have deep conversations with incredible entrepreneurs. In an effort to grow our Find Your Freedom community, it would mean the world to us if you would follow us on your favorite audio platform and subscribe on YouTube and share your favorite episode of Find Your Freedom with friends and family. Our goal is to build a community uniting successful entrepreneurs with aspiring entrepreneurs. Check out our free entrepreneurship ebook and all the resources you need to find your own freedom at findyourfreedompod.com. We just finished recording with Joe Fairless and his bio is pretty incredible, so buckle up. Joe co-founded Ashcroft Capital, a multifamily real estate company that has 2.7 billion in assets, while also founding the longest running daily real estate podcast in history. He provided some great gems. This episode is straight fire. Enjoy. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome, Joe. Super excited to have you on with us today. Hey, looking forward to our conversation. Hey, Joe, welcome to the Find Your Freedom podcast, my man. Let's get this started off with a big win. What milestone or achievement are you most proud of in your incredibly distinguished career so far? Uh, I'd say choosing how I invest my time, structuring a life so that I can choose how to invest my time. That is the uh, one resource that we can't get back. And I was just reading a book. I just finished it called the asset minds, the asset mindset. And the author of the book is a former green beret. And he used an analogy that really resonated with me. He said, think of time as a, a gas tank. Uh, and you can't fill it back up. You only got one gas tank and you also don't know when it's going to go to empty so <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> it, it, with no gauge that's right no gas tank with no gauge and it will never be filled up again that is our time so how i invest my time is most important and so that's certainly the biggest win for me you always had that outlook has that been con- kind of consistently your goal no. throughout your uh, career here? Or is this a recent heritage? Um, uh, always is in my um, literal mind forever. Uh, so no, I've not always had it. But since I've become an entrepreneur, so 2013, yes. Uh, because since I've become an entrepreneur, I've been a student of personal development. And through personal development, and watching all the the people and listening and reading, uh, that is one thing I've come across. All right, now, what was your entree into the real estate business, Joe? Um, Why did you choose commercial real estate in particular? Well, uh, so getting into real estate, I was doing uh, single family homes. I was buying single family homes. I was living in New York, I'm from Texas. I was living in New York City and I was working a W-2 job at an advertising agency. And my friends at the advertising agency were, would ask me, well, hey, how are you buying these homes? You're, you're working with us from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and how are you managing them? And 
Uh, so I started teaching a class on how I was buying homes, living in New York City, but buying them in uh, Dallas and Fort Worth at the time. And I ended up getting up to four homes uh, that I owned. And I realized that the uh, cash flow on the spreadsheet looked good, but the cash flow in reality, not so much because someone would move out and it would cost $5,000 to get it moving ready again. Well, that wipes away the 250 bucks a month I was making on my spreadsheet. Uh, I was netting. And so this is an important, important point for new real estate investors to uh, pay attention to here. Yeah. Everyone can be spreadsheet millionaires, <laughs> right? but the reality is that uh, there are challenges uh, with that model. And uh, especially if you're, if you have a property management company, which I had uh, hired a third party management company, uh, but if you're managing it yourself, then it goes back to trading time for dollars. And so it's most likely not what anyone, most people want to get into with when they get into real estate. And so I thought, hey, you know, uh, while I was teaching that class, uh, someone, a, a boss of mine, a former boss of mine took the class and he said, you know what, if you ever do, do something larger, let me know. And because he said this single family home stuff, just it doesn't really cut it. I was like, hmm. And I thought, well, I might have customers before I have a product. And I started, I started studying apartment buildings and uh, that was, I naturally gravitated towards apartments versus some other property type commercial real estate, just because I understood it. I was living in an apartment in New York city. I was living, I lived in apartments and um, when I went to college. And so I started studying that. And then I uh, eventually uh, said, you know what, I'm going to focus on this full time. I, I was um, apathetic towards my full-time job, and that's a, a really good place to be if you recognize your apathy, and it's a scary place to be if you don't recognize your apathetic. And so I, I recognized it. I wrote, I wrote an email to my, uh, my immediate family, and I said, essentially, and I, it's actually printed on my wall over there. I still, I still have it. I have a little inspiration wall in my office. I said, so immediate family is in your, your parents. That immediate fan. Yes, that's right. And my siblings. Okay. I have two brothers and a sister. And I said, I came, I conquered and I don't care about it anymore. I'm going to be quitting uh, in two months, assuming that my refinance on my house goes through, then I'll have some cash to, to focus on buying um, apartment buildings. And so uh, that's what I did. And um, actually got got laid off like three weeks later, uh, and they gave me a severance <laughs> package for two months. So it was better. <laughs> it, it worked out even better. The the agency had lost some clients, and I wasn't doing a good job anyway um, because I I wasn't engaged anymore. And uh, I climbed the corporate ladder relatively quickly. I was the youngest vice president at that at that agency, but then I I attained what I was seeking professionally in that industry. And I just, man, I just completely disengaged. And when I, when I care about something, I'm all in. When I don't, I'm completely disengaged. That's just my personality. And so um, 
that that's those were the the steps that led to how I got into real estate and how I got into commercial real estate specifically. All right, beautiful story. So, so you got the cash out refinance. You're planning to to uh, put in your resignation, and then they kind of pulled the trigger before you did and laid you off, and it ended up being kind of the beginning of a beautiful uh, uh, business career for you in going out onto your own. So in your own words, can you describe what Ashcroft does and and what has set the company apart from its competitors in the industry? Well, yeah, what what Ashcroft does is we buy apartment communities with high net worth investors. We improve those communities, make them more profitable, and we sell them and we share in the profits with our investors. What set us what sets us apart? Uh, we have over 100 testimonials on our website. Everyone can watch videos or, or read testimonials uh, on our website, and you can hear from those investors in their mind what sets us apart from, from others. What I'll say is that ultimately uh, we do what we say we're going to do, and we try to do a little bit more on top of that. Um, so that doesn't mean that things go according to plan all the time because they don't. That's not reality. But we are true to our word uh, and we do what we say we're going to do and we uh, strive for 1% more. Um, so that that's uh, the, from the, the 1% more is from the book, A Raving Fans, a really good book on how to have outstanding customer service. and. Um, so we do quarterly reviews uh, with uh, our, our our teammates, team members, and the the first question on there is, um, "Have you been doing what you say you're going to do?" And then what's an example of doing one percent more? And then they list specific examples. So it it starts from the top down and it, it trickles through to. Uh, consumer facing or investor facing. So, um, so how much uh, under management does what's the AUM for Ashcroft now? Two point seven billion dollars, all apartment buildings. I love that. How does that feel when you say it? Does that, <laughs> is, that, is, that is that what you're uh, what you were thinking when you were starting out early on? Was this a realistic expectation? No, I wasn't thinking that starting out. I, I, I mean, realistic expectations are not in um realistic goals and expectations i i i feel like it's almost an oxymoron you know should i have realistic expectations or goals well probably not you know like you you want unrealistic expectations and goals you know it's kind of like a a new antique right like well it's a new antique so i i'd say i i'd say no i i don't think um 2.7 was was necessarily um, a, a goal, but uh, we have unrealistic expectations of ourselves and, you know, we're constantly striving to get better. Um, how's it feel to say that? Um, uh, the, the 1 billion mark was more of a milestone we're like holy cow we have a billion dollars asset <laughs> management throw that extra zero on there that's right and and then you know after that it's it's um it's kind of you celebrate we celebrated by just i think uh calling each other frank and i call each other 
uh, about the billion. And then you sell by by almost tri- tripling it. <laughs> right. And and then after that, it's like, okay, well, business as usual. Let's, let's exactly, let's, let's keep, keep focusing on operations. So putting your uh, uh, mindset back to like the early years of Ashcroft, when you guys were really getting the grind going, um, can you, can you uh, take our audience back to sort of how you guys formulated what your, the, what your value add concept was, and then how you were able to scale so quickly? Like what was the most painful part of that early process? Well, um, the value add concept, it's interesting. Before I met Frank, my business partner, who we, you know, we co-founded Ashcroft together, before I met Frank, I did a syndication with 12 investors who I knew. And one of those 12 was the former boss that I mentioned who said, hey, if you ever do something larger, let me know. Well, I did something larger and he invested in it. And uh, you asked about the value add business plan. Uh, I was unaware of a value add business plan. My background was, as, as I mentioned earlier, in advertising. And I had real estate experience investing in single family homes. But man, commercial real estate and apartment communities is a different animal. And what I what I thought was when I bought an apartment community, it would just be uh, similar to the single family home where you buy it, it's cash flowing currently, and then use the cash flow to you know pay for renovations, um, and you, eventually you get ahead of that through rent increases and then a refinance where you get your money back out or some of it back out and then you sell. Didn't happen that way on my first and only syndication I did alone as a general partner. Uh, that deal ended up losing money, and I ended up paying back my investors plus fourteen percent annualized return out of my own pocket over the course of two plus years. And I had twelve very you know, challenging, or how I call it, character building conversations with those investors, and yeah. They, some of them, rightfully so, were skeptical. Like, you're gonna, you know, pay me back. Like, how? And I didn't have answers on how. I just said, this is what I'm commit. I'm gonna commit to doing this, and I'm gonna send you whatever I can each month. Some months it was like five hundred dollars split among twelve people, and other months it was more. Uh, clearly, because I, I I paid them all back plus fourteen percent, and. Uh, I realized through that process, through that experience, that I am I'm good at certain things as it relates to this business, and I'm bad at other things as it relates to this business. And I realized there are three components to this business. You've got to have money, you got to have the deal, and you got to be able to execute. So money, deal, execution. And when I was introduced to Frank, um, his background is in finding deals and executing. Uh, so it was uh, his value add background uh, combined with my experience uh, in what I was doing that uh, was a, it still is a really good combination for for our business model. Um, so he really brought the value add uh, approach. Uh, in fact, uh, the company name before Ashcroft. Uh, was value add investments LLC, I believe, something like that. Um, <laughs> so there, there wasn't any uh, ambiguity on what our business model was. Uh, yeah, and and as far as the second part to your question for 
you know, what, what was the, what was the, the moment where, where we took off? Is that, was that the second part to your question? Yeah. Sort of what was the most challenging piece mm -hmm. of that early run? It sounds like just that first deal you had, there was a lot of huge lessons and life, uh, life learnings just in that first experience. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with friends and family. Uh, that's right. And, you know, people who have known me throughout my whole life, you know, those, those 12, most of them knew me throughout my whole life um, from, um, yeah, people who I, I knew from tech, my college roommate from Texas Tech, when I went to school to uh, the roommate I was living with at the time in New York City. Uh, he was also an investor and, you know, yeah. former bosses and a boss of a former boss. So, you know, it, it was challenging and I, I did everything I could um, to turn it around. And I think this is a, a good lesson I learned. I did, I perceived I did everything I could turn, to turn it around from an execution standpoint, but it still wasn't enough. And the reason why it wasn't enough, there are two reasons. One, it wasn't properly capitalized. And two, even if it was properly capitalized, I didn't have the expertise to know how to use those funds and the, the way that would turn it around. And, and so, you know, yeah, I, I hear people give advice about, hey, never quit, never quit. Perhaps, but understand if what you're doing uh, isn't the right way and or you just don't have the expertise and knowledge to to make it happen. And at the time I, I did formula doesn't add up. That's right. That makes perfect sense. That's right. Yeah. 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 So there, I mean, I, I was, I, I moved from New York city to this property and I was living in the model unit. And every morning I would wake up and I would go walk to the leasing office. And then I would go show that model unit that I was living in. I'd pack up all my stuff, put it in the cabinets, I pack up all, and yeah, one day I left a toothbrush out. I'm like, is someone living? Oh, just disregard them. Just tuck that away. I mean, I was living. I was living, living in. Yeah, right. I was. I was living in the model unit. And yeah, I'd, I'd go to Home Depot in my Toyota Corolla. I'd, I'd put a um, bunch of bags of like this asphalt filler to fill potholes, and I'd drive it there after hours. And I'd open the trunk and scoop out the asphalt and fill the potholes. I mean, I, I was doing. All, all the hands-on stuff that, that you could, but it wasn't working. And that's, that, that was a good lesson to, to learn. So this was the deal that lost money? That's right. Yeah, this was, the, this was the deal that lost money. Man, so the biggest thing that stands out to me, Joe, is just, you know, I think a lot of people in your shoes, especially on their first deal, when they lose money, the deal didn't go like they thought it would, you know, I think some... And some people in your position would have just said, okay, I'm going to make my investors whole so they don't lose money. But you took it way past that and, and made sure that they earned that 14% return. And that's something that I've seen my business partner uh, do kind of similar, similar things for his investors. And that's why they've stuck with him, you know, two decades into his, um, his investing is because he did go the extra mile, just like you did to not only make sure that they got all their money back, but that they got a, a good return on that money as well. So when you linked up with Frank, um, what changed? So he was kind of, it sounds like the missing ingredient and in what you needed to go to the next level and, and find success. What was that like when you guys first hooked up? Yeah, it was, it, 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 it was, um, it was a, it was a missing ingredient, like you mentioned. And, uh, I was a missing, missing ingredient for him and, and vice versa. Right. So, um, it worked. 
and it, it works. And I'd, I'd say, you know, I'm, I, I'm aware of the stuff that he does and he's aware of the stuff that I do, but we, for the most part, stay in our lanes and, you know, uh, having, you know, I was just going back to that book to asset mindset that I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, the author mentions that in special forces, you initially have one area of focus and your, your superior in that one area of focus. So you, you specialize in something and, and that's your craft and that's how uh, we have it set up with, with our business. And um, he's really good at what he does and I'm really good at what I do. Um, I, I, I'm also a passive investor in deals. Our, I'm, I'm our second or third largest investor in Ashcroft deals. But in addition to that, uh, I passively invest in other people's deals. And a red flag for me is if they have more than two general partners who are uh, calling the shots because it just doesn't work. Um, you know, I'm currently reading um, 33 or 34 Laws of War by Robert Greene. And that's one of the takeaways uh, where you, you can't have too many leaders uh, because it just doesn't, it destined to fail. History shows, proves that it's destined to fail. Uh, you know, have you seen the Office episode where uh, I think Dwight's a co-CEO with with someone else? I forget who it is, but you know, being being a co-CEO, it just it's it's not going to work. Too brutal with too many chefs in the kitchen. That's right. <laughs> yeah, going to pivot off of um, sort of what you're talking about with your and Frank's um, partnership being a good formula. I know you also have this. Um, you know, podcast that's been on forever. Can you talk a little bit about how that formula played into the growth of Ashcroft and how you even started the podcast? Uh, what, eight years ago it was? Yeah. Um, it's a daily real estate investing podcast, best real estate investing advice ever. And I started it in October, I believe, of some year a long time ago. <laughs> and it, it, it didn't start daily. There, there's over what 30 over 3000 epi episodes for sure. Now um, it did not start daily, but after about four or five episodes, I didn't know if it was a good use of my time or not because no one's listening at that point. Uh, but I, I knew I was getting other quite frankly, more beneficial aspects of it. Uh, from it, but I wasn't sure to what degree. So beneficial aspects, one, learning a whole lot from those I interviewed and two, building relationships with those I interviewed. Um, but I didn't know if that was making an impact or not on uh, on my business and on my, uh, my life. So I said, you know what, I'm going to commit to doing it daily. And I did it daily, I believe starting in November of that year. And I did it daily, uh, for the end of the, all the way to the end of the year, so about a month and a half or so, and then I said, if I don't have a sponsor, and I just when I say I said this, I was just talking to myself. No one else was listening. <laughs> I was in my this apartment. is the inner dialogue. I, I, yeah, I was just in my room recording these episodes and thinking on my on my bed, 
and no no one was paying attention <laughs> but i i said to myself yeah i'm, yeah, I'm gonna try and find a sponsor if i can't find a sponsor by the end of this year then i really need to take a look at it and uh lo and behold uh, someone that i i spoke to ended up sponsoring and i got my first sponsorship check it was a cozy.co uh, which has since been bought out by a couple different companies i believe and in a good way lucas hall I believe founded it and uh, it was a check for like $2,000 and it was just incredible to see. And I was like, Oh, that, well, that, that was like month. That was probably episode what? 30, 45, probably episode 50 or so. And they just reach out to you or were you, were you hunting? No, they were a guest on the show. And so I, I would oh, talk gotcha. to each guest and I would, I would, talk to them about the sponsorship opportunity. And, and so, um, I ended up, I ended up getting a sponsor and yeah, I mean the, the, I'm a huge, um, as I mentioned, personal development student. And one thing that Tim Ferriss talks about is he might not say it in this way, but this is how I've interpreted it. 50, 50 goals. 50% of the goal is actually accomplishing accomplishing the goal. And then the other 50% of the goal is regardless of the accomplishment, accomplish it, you can still benefit from it because you're going to acquire XYZ skills or XYZ relationships. And if you if all of your goals are set up to be 50-50 goals, then it doesn't matter as much if you actually achieve it. It's more about, but it's just as much about what did you accomplish along the way that you can leverage to then do other things or go try that again? And with a podcast, like I mentioned at the beginning, hardly anyone was listening, but who cares? Because I was building relationships with these individuals I was interviewing and I was learning a whole lot. And so now fast forward to of, you know, 1200, 1500 episodes and I've interviewed 1,500 real estate investors. No one else in the world's done that. I don't, I don't know anyone else in the world done that. Interviewed 1,500 real estate investors in a compressed period of time. Like, like every day an episode is going live, seven days a week. Not, not five days a week, seven days a week an episode is going live. So I've interviewed 1,500 real estate investors in 1,500 days. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to get connections. and so, you know, Robert Kiyosaki talks about um, the richest people in the world build networks and everyone else looks for work. And that's, that's this playing out in, in the podcast arena, you know, building a network and learning along the way. So it's, it's been instrumental. And once you had that formula where you had, you said there was the three pieces, you found the other piece where Frank was bringing the, finding the deals and executing on them to meet all of the expected uh, investment goals. Now you're bringing all this huge network of people who are already investing in real estate. And after your first couple deals, it must've just really uh, snowballed. I mean, you guys, I, I know your first two deals, you definitely hit above numbers on because I was fortunate to be part of a couple of those first few deals. <laughs> um, um, so, so what happened in that transition period as you guys started um, gaining, what was the biggest real um way that you were able to scale there uh, i'd say being able to stand on our own four feet uh and and i mean what i mean by that is 
the first five or so deals we did uh, with other um, another general partner, actually two other general partners, because we couldn't get approved by the lender alone because we didn't have liquidity or net worth. And, and so once we're, and with that, with, with partner or partners, you know, come more conversations on how to navigate certain challenges that ultimately come up on each property. And so, as I mentioned earlier, having two or one or two people making those decisions versus three plus people making those decisions is a, a major um it's a, it, it, ma- it makes a major difference in the success or lack thereof of a project. And um, we've, we've done very well, even those deals um, that you, that you were in, obviously we did really well and the deals with those partners, we did well, but it makes it harder. And so um, now, here at the beginning. yeah, now we, it's just uh, us two uh, signing on loans and, and using our net worth and liquidity and, and so it's it's nice to be able to have more maneuverability, and you can um, take that same concept and apply it to management, third party management. We now have an in house property management company that Frank built out, uh, and it's in house property management and in house construction management, and it's the same core concept of we want ownership over what controls ultimate profitability and the direction of the investment. If you have a third-party property management company, they're, they're, they're probably going to be good if you've done your due diligence, but they're still not going to be nimble, as nimble as what your management company would be. And if you can match or exceed the quality that the third party is doing and uh, then you're going to also have more nimbleness and be able to maneuver around certain things faster uh, and than if, if it's a third party. So I, I think ultimately getting that control over the investments and removing variables that could um, could you know could could challenge the investment. Uh, we, we've always sought to do that with um, with our approach. What um what, going through those fifteen hundred guests plus that you've had on the podcast? Was there any specific investing advice from one of your guests that really stands out to you? Well, it actually, uh, comes from one one piece of advice that resonates comes from um, someone who uh, told me what their grandpa their grandpa told them, and it is take all the free advice I'll take all the free advice that you can get and then decide what you want to do with it and because advice is uh, just useful based on um, you know where you're at in life and you could certainly I mean any good piece of advice you could make a, a counter argument to it most good piece of advice you could be well but if you did this way well, I'll show that. Yeah, I guess that does make sense. So, you know, um, take take all the free advice, take all the good advice you can get, but then decide how does that apply to us uh, in this moment in time and does it make sense or do we need to you know, do take the contrarian perspective with that advice? Joe, you seem like a guy who really set some big goals for himself and 
and uh, goes after them. And as we go along the path uh, in, in pursuit of our goals, you know, we hit all the, the speed bumps and, and the obstacles. And how do you stay motivated and, and on track towards your goals during those, those difficult periods? Peer group. It's nece- it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. We've we've got to have people around us who inspire us. I have uh, two calls on Tuesdays. Um, one call with one individual, uh, and another call with another individual. And we, uh, one of them is more of an accountability call, and the other is more of a, um, you know, what's going on in life. Here are some challenges, uh, and here's what I'm I'm working through and they're both incredibly successful uh people um both from a a family standpoint uh, and also from a business standpoint and um so we we are we are a product of the expectations of our peer group that's what tony robbins says and it's it's so it's it's so on point um, that we are a product of the expectations of our peer group. And, and so it's, um, it's something that if you don't have, uh, someone who inspires you and will, will tell you the truth in your life and you don't speak to him or her regularly, you need to find him or her. And, um, you know, I, I'm also in a larger like mastermind group, um, the thing I'll say about those is that we've got to make sure that we're actually building a substantive relationship with the individuals within it. Because if we're just participating in a mastermind group, it's, it's not as beneficial. But if you're building a substantive relationship with an individual or two in it, then you're really making headway in relationships for the long run. Those are some good networking tips. Uh, appreciate that. And is that Tuesday meeting, is that with your partner, Frank, or is that with some other people that you've hooked up with along the way? No, I, I talk to Frank more than just on Tuesday. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, okay. yeah we, we, we talk regularly. Um, no, this is this, these are with two uh, friends of mine. Okay, cool. Now, um, kind of applying that, uh, what you're talking about towards the podcast space, uh, what, what advice do you have to new podcasters today. I imagine over the 10 years that you've been at it, the, the podcast landscape has changed quite a bit. Um, what, what advice do you give to, to new folks that are entering into podcasting today? The same advice I'd, I, I'd give if you asked me seven years ago, and that is um, make it interview-based format because that will have, the, the guests will then promote it to his or her audience, which will extend your audience's reach or your listener base, number one, interview-based format. And that's a, as opposed to just uh, getting on a mic and talking into the camera by yourself for 10, 15, 20 minutes. That's right. Um, you can mix in those episodes, but primarily interview-based format. The second yeah. is to do it daily. And most people don't, and that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but I, I my, and just just to be clear, I said 1,500 episodes, even though we're at like over 3,000. I don't do it daily anymore, but I have a team that does do it daily. And they, they, do, they, they are the hosts now. And I'll pop in for about two or three episodes doing interviews a month. Other than that, my, my team does it. But the show goes on, right? Like it's, it's the, the, the brand still moves on. 
Um, Longest running daily real estate show, right? Yeah, um, that's, that's right. So awesome to have that. And and so I'd say yeah, do it daily. And ninety nine point five percent of anyone who's starting a podcast who hears this will not do it daily. And I get that it's a commitment, but why are you doing it in the first place? Is it a priority for you or not? Um, and if it's not, that's fine. Then do it for fun. Do it, do it occasionally. But if you're looking to get business results uh, as quick as possible, well, do it twice daily, you know, like, be looking to get out of it. That's a really important angle. Yeah, exactly. Um, how would you, this is something we like to like ask every guest and it's such a personal question that I love. How would you define entrepreneurship personally? Uh, building a business, building a business that you can control your time and is profitable. Short and sweet. And what traits do you think you would attribute your successes so far to? I am... Um, I have the right mindset, first and foremost. Life happens for me, not to me. So when challenges come up, I welcome them. I embrace them. Thank you for coming here because it's you're you're meant to be here for me to improve myself. So thank you for that. That's what I say to challenges. I slip sometimes. Where did that come from? Um, Ten years of personal development. I slip sometimes, so... You know, there are moments where I'm like, damn, this up. But it, it's, it's, it's quick. It's quick and I go right back to it. Hey, thanks. I, I, I'm, meant to, I'm meant to go through this. This is meant to help us. How can I use this? How can I get, how can, how can I leverage this? Um, so the right mindset, first and foremost, uh, I'm incredibly um, resourceful so I can get things done. The most resourceful person I know. I, I'll find a way to get it done, uh, and and I read people really well. Those are the three I'd say. I'm I'm very good at assessing someone's sincerity or um, just who they are as a person. That, that's a, a skill that I was being born with. A couple of my siblings are pretty good at it, also. Yeah, those are really really poignant attributes. And I love the self-confidence in yourself, knowing, um, you know, knowing the mindset that you're able to take on these challenges. And that really is the goal to use them as fuel to always be improving. And you're grateful for those. So you can really step your game up from that. My what in college, my favorite author was Scott Peck. He wrote The Road Less Traveled and he wrote The Road Less Traveled and Beyond. And you'll sense a theme here. He wrote Further Along the Road Less Traveled. <laughs> but the the first sentence in the road less traveled is life is difficult and it's true. Life's difficult. So what are we going to do about it? Like complain, going to complain and you know, woe is me. No, difficult. It's supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to, we're supposed to progress. We're supposed to evolve as human beings. So, all right, well, it's, it's going to be difficult. So let's, let's rock and roll. I think that's a great point, Joe. I'm glad, I'm glad you snuck that one in here towards the end. I mean, we got to expect that it's going to be difficult and be ready to meet that challenge. Cause I think a lot of people, they see this stuff on Instagram, on YouTube, and they go, man, I just show up and all this, these dollars start um, falling into my lap. And that's just not the way it goes. Um, so you have to come into it, expecting difficulty, expecting hardships and be ready for that. That's right. When you get on this uh, entrepreneurial journey. That's right. That's a perfect spot to end it on, Joe. Thanks so much for sharing this incredible story of success and 
I think the way that you finished it is so powerful. Just making sure everyone understands, even when you're up in the billions under management, you're always trying to constantly improve and you're still grinding to be better. I think that's a really awesome piece. That's right. Well, I appreciate this conversation. You, you, you two have a, a wonderful podcast. Thank you. Where can we send people to find you? Uh, AshcroftCapital.com. You, you asked earlier about how we differentiate ourselves and I referenced the investor testimonials or perspectives. I think we call them investor perspectives. Just feel free to watch those videos and there's contact us information on there also. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, you too. Thanks, everyone. Beautiful. Thanks for your time, Joe. Appreciate you. Here at FYF, our goal is to never stop learning and growing. And one of the best ways to learn is to have deep conversations with incredible entrepreneurs. In an effort to grow our Find Your Freedom community, it would mean the world to us if you would follow us on your favorite audio platform and subscribe on YouTube and share your favorite episode of Find Your Freedom with friends and family. Our goal is to build a community uniting successful entrepreneurs with aspiring entrepreneurs. Check out our free entrepreneurship ebook and all the resources you need to find your own freedom at findyourfreedompod.com. Thank you.